Um, open up your Bible to James 1.27. And this is something... This scripture is very dear to me. I remember the first time I read it, I said, wow, what's, like, what's religion? You know, when I was a new believer, I didn't understand. You know, there's different religions, different this. But in, in God's eyes, <clears throat> pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, widows and <clears throat> to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And you could do probably three messages just off of that one verse. There's so much there to unpack. Um, but it's on my heart. It's like God just has such a heart for orphans and for widows. Uh, that's, his, that's his heart, you know. Um, I've been blessed Many of you know my wife started a ministry, a Bible study in the Philippines uh, three years ago. Started with three kids, and they would feed the kids afterwards. They'd do a feeding, and um, just she was there for uh, for two months. She couldn't she couldn't work. COVID had started since 2020. Uh, I was out of work, and Philippines was one of the most shut down countries. You couldn't travel. I couldn't go with her because they were only allowing citizens. You had to have a Philippine passport to go to the country. So I couldn't go even if I wanted to. So I sent her. She hadn't seen her family. She was homesick. And, and by doing that, it birthed a ministry. Um, some of these kids, a few of them are like orphans. Um, there's one kid in particular who's really dear to my heart. His uh, father passed away. And, um, and his mother was in prison while his, when his dad died. And this was a few years ago. This was during COVID. And he's like seven, eight years old, just a sweet little boy, you know. And his mom got out of prison, and she was into drugs and all kinds of bad stuff. And she just ran off and left the kids with his parents. And his parents are elderly. And uh, so this boy basically just has these sick elderly parents watching over him, you know, so he, he really is an orphan, and he's just a sweet kid, and he's been on our heart, and he goes to, uh, Rochelle does a Bible study every, it's Friday night here, but it's Saturday morning over in the Philippines, it's a 15-hour time difference, and she teaches the kids, they do some worship, she gives them spiritual food, and then we do a feeding, it's up to 50 kids now, so the kids get a, a nice meal, uh, you got to understand there, they're, they're very poor, and it's a very poor little community. They don't have much. And so it's just going there. I've been there a couple times now. And the first time I went, this ministry wasn't even going. But when I went there, I was just there in March. And to be able to see it and how it's grown just from three kids. And so she just started, you know, wanted to teach the word. Because when she was a little girl, eight years old, this pastor, used, she lived in the province on this island, and this pastor used to come, <clears throat> and he would teach the kids, he'd get all the kids together, and he would share the word with them, and if they could memorize a verse, um, I know 
Yasmin's probably smiling because she has, this, has all the kids memorizing verses and gives them a little treat, you know, if they memorize it. And that's what was happening with Rochelle. She grew up Roman Catholic, like probably 99% of the, or 80% of the Philippines, some of the southern parts Muslim. But the, the word was planted in her heart by this man that would come along. And that word, it sprouted, it grew, and she came to faith later. Um, it's a long story, but her testimony is actually pretty, pretty crazy. She came to faith in a Muslim country in Abu Dhabi. She was living there for 12 years, and she came to faith there. And that word she remembered when she received the Lord, she remembered that word that that pastor put in her heart when she was eight-year little girl. And so she said, I want to do that. I want to plant seeds in these kids' hearts, you know. And to see the, the growth of this ministry has just been such a blessing to be able to see the Bible study. She teaches it Friday night here. So I get home from work and she's on a WhatsApp call because they don't have Zoom. They don't have a, even a computer. They just have a cell phone. And they plug it into a speaker. And then she talks to the kids uh, and teaches them. So it's, it's really a neat thing. And it's like I said, a couple, few of them are orphans. And, um, and I know that's God's heart is to bless the orphans. And I just wanted to share with you, you know, some of the ministry that, that we have going on there. Um, and the church has helped out, blessed us with some funds to help buy rice for the kids. We just bought uh, 50 sacks of rice, gave every kid a sack of rice to take home to his parents. So when these little kids come home, their parents are very poor. That's a big deal for them to get this sack of rice. And it's, it's, a, it's a witness to the parents. And they see, wow, they said... These people, they're, they're teaching our kid the word. They, they, they feed them every week, and then they send food home for us. You know, they just, and that's our heart is to share the love of, of Jesus with these people. And, you know, there's pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, I just want to go through a few scriptures. You don't have to turn to them. I'll just tell you where they're at. Uh, <clears throat> and God takes it serious. He, he has a heart for the orphans and the widows, and he takes it very serious. Um, Exodus 22, 22 and through 24. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled. And, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children will become fatherless. That's pretty serious, you know. And, uh, you know, that God's head has that heart. If you have to understand, widows in ancient times, they had nothing. They couldn't, they would have, have a, a, a son to take care of them. That's usually what would happen if they're their husband died, one of their children, their son or son-in-law would take them in and take care of them. They had no one to protect them, no one to provide for them. And so if they were a widow and they didn't have that, their, their outlook was pretty bleak and pretty dark. Um, and so anyway, in, in Deuteronomy 10.8, Deuteronomy 10.8, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. In Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21, when you reap your harvest in the field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to it and get it. 
It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over it with boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. God, that's, God had a welfare system put in. Our welfare system, a lot of it's abused. But, I, but the people that genuinely need it, it's there for them, you know, to get food. We're so spoiled in this country. Even our homeless live better than a lot of people in the rest of the world. They have food. They have clothing. Uh, I'm not saying everyone, but a majority of, unfortunately, a lot of them are, have mental illness. They have drug and alcohol addiction. And their, um, their plight, a lot of them are self-inflicted. And some of them just want it. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want to go to work. They're getting handouts. They get a free cell phone. They get money every month. It's like, why do I want to go work for a minimum wage job and struggle, you know? So, um, but God had this welfare system set up because that's his heart. You know, and he wants us to have that same heart, that same compassion. Um, in Psalm 68:5, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Uh, Psalm 146:9, the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. So God's always had that heart, you know, for, for orphans and widows. And he wants us to have that heart. Um, have that compassion. Um, in, um, let me find. Like I said, I had very little time to prepare for this message, so please bear with me. Um, so there's a story. I'll share a little story with you, and uh, you can turn to it in Luke chapter seven, verse eleven. And soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the, the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. <clears throat> and he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus, Jesus gave him back to his mother. Uh, fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in the surrounding district. Um, this is one of my favorite Bible stories, because it shows God's heart for the widow. He, this, like I said, this woman, this, it doesn't tell us a lot of details, except that it was her only son. So not only she has she lost her husband, now she's lost her only son. That, that was her, her welfare system. That was who was going to take care of her. That was who was going to protect her. That was who was going to provide for her. And now he's gone. And I could just, I couldn't imagine... I've never been a father, but I've heard that's one of the most terif terrifying, horrific things to face is a parent burying one of their children. It's like, 
it's not supposed to work that way. You know, the children are supposed to bury the parents and um, that pain. So you could just imagine the grief she's feeling, losing her only son. I mean, and then not only she lose her only son, but now her, her future looks so bleak. It's like she has no hope, you know. And, but I love what it says here. Um, where is it? In verse, uh, verse 12. Now as he approached the gate, dead man was being carried out. His only son's mother and a widow and a sizable crowd from the cities with her. When the Lord saw her, in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. How do you tell a mother that's burying her? This is her funeral, her son's funeral. Tell her, don't weep, you know? But, but Jesus had compassion for her. He saw her because he knew what he was about to do. He was about to, to raise him from the dead. And there's three accounts of Jesus that I know of and that I've studied where Jesus rose people from the dead. Um, this widow's son... Uh, Jairus's daughter, and then Lazarus. Now, other prophets have brought, raised people from the dead, but they had to lay on them, cry out to God, ask, Lord, please, you know, spare this child. Uh, Elijah, Elisha, Paul brought back man from the dead, but they all cried out to God. But Jesus just spoke it. Every time he just spoke it, he said it. And that shows his, his deity, that he is God. He's God in the flesh. And his power that he has. I love in Revelation, what is it? I think it's 117. When John sees it, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So he has those keys. He has that power. It's, it's the, the deity of Christ. To understand who Jesus is is so key and so important. That's why I love the Gospel of John. Its main theme is the deity of Christ. That's what I love about that book. The other three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels. They're a very similar story. John is completely different. You know, from the very beginning, he talks about the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. Nothing came into being except through him. And then I think it's down, I think it's around verse 14 in John 1, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. You know, and so I love, I love the gospel of John because it shows the deity of Christ and all the times, what did the Pharisees want to stone him for? Because for blasphemy, he was claiming to be God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham longed to see my day. He said, you're yet 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? And he, then when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And when they, he said that, they knew what that meant. And they won't, picked up, so they wanted to kill him for that. They thought that was blasphemy. Um, but when we understand who God is, who Jesus is, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, he is God. He was God in the flesh. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know? And it's just, I don't know, it's just so amazing um, to think about 
that God became a man, you know, for us, because he loved us so much. He knew there was no other way to save us, no other way. Was, that's why he said, let this cup pass from me, you know. But there was no other way but for him to go to the cross and die a horrible, horrible death. And we just, I just can't imagine. I was just meditating on Ephesians 2, I think it's 2, 5. I'll turn to it. I'm going by memory here, but I'm hoping it's correct. No, it's not. Here. I have it in my phone. It's Philippians 2.5. Sorry, guys. Philippians 2.5. says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'll tell you one of my struggles sometimes is just my pride, thinking that I'm better than somebody, which I know I'm not, you know, but I'm thinking oh, like something might be below me or I don't want to do this. You know, something seems an, an unenviable task that I have to do. And I'm like, oh, this isn't right. But I think, wow, when I read this scripture, it's like Jesus, he didn't even consider that being God. He emptied himself, you know, and became a servant. You know, it's like true humility. He was so humble. And, you know, obviously he's God. He's perfect. But, you know, that's something we should strive for. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, you know, and... I know something, that's one of the things that, that in my heart sometimes I have a struggle with, you know, of humbling myself like that and being a servant and saying, okay, you think sometimes, oh, this person doesn't deserve this, you got to do something. It's like, but you know what? I don't deserve anything from God either. I'm a wretched sinner. I mean, some of you know a little bit about my past and I mean, none of us deserve to be here. None of us. It's only by God's grace. You know, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not by works, <clears throat> lest any man should boast, you know. But we're, we're saved only by what he did on the cross for us. And, and it's that faith, we put our faith and our trust in him. And God has just been so, so good to us, you know. Um, it's funny, in the end of this, that verse, back up to James 127, uh, pure and undefiled religion and sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now that's something I think we all probably struggle with. Um, the world, the world system, there's so much going on. There's so many distractions, you know, there's television and things that want to compete with us for our, our, our faith in God, or not so much our faith, but just our time, our prayer. It's like, Social media, you know, people on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all these different YouTube, and they spend countless hours and hours and hours. Like, I've even caught myself 
I don't have uh, Facebook. I don't go on Instagram. I had an Instagram account a long time ago. I haven't been on it a long time. But <clears throat> I have YouTube. I subscribe to some YouTube channels that I like to watch. But uh, you ever seen a YouTube short? It'll just come up, and then it just, it's a loop. It'll go to a next one, next one. I'll catch myself like a half hour later watching junk, you know? It's like, what am I doing? It's like, it's this, there's so many distractions, you know? And we have to, you know, deny ourselves and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't right. You know, I gotta, I could be spending valuable. It could be time in prayer, which is something we probably all need to do more of. I know me, especially I've with my work schedule and being gone, I'm gone 12, 12 hours a day. Usually sometimes I get distracted. I have, I'm tired when I get home. And it's like, last thing you want to do is open your Bible or pray. Sometimes you want to just decompress, but, um, God calls us, you know, to, like I said, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Um, I want to share, uh, in Luke 4, before, this is when Jesus started his public ministry. One of the things I like about the book, the Gospel of Luke, is it's in chronological order. So everything you see was from, happened before the next thing, whereas some of the other Gospels, it's like they bounce around. So the timeline can be there. But Luke is chronological, so the timeline's great. So he had just been tempted in the wilderness in Luke 4, and he just came into the region of Galilee and started his public ministry. Okay, so like Luke 1, 4 through, Luke 1, or Luke 4, 1 through maybe 14. I don't know, let's hear, let's turn there. Again, I'm going off memory on this one. So he's baptized in Luke 3. They go through his genealogy, and then in chapter 4, Luke 4, he's tempted. He goes into the wilderness, fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted. He comes back, um, and he starts his public ministry. And, and we'll pick it up in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Um, so then in Luke 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, <clears throat> as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to, those, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And, all the eyes of, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, that's in Isaiah 61.1 where he read. He knew, he knew right where to go. <laughs> That's, he inspired that book, you know. And prophet Isaiah, you're thinking, wow, it was a, 
it was a, a prophecy that was fulfilled. It says, it says this was fulfilled in your hearing. These people got to witness prophecy being fulfilled. I mean, I think that's amazing, you know, to see, wow, I just, I just, this thing was written 700 years ago, and now it just came to pass. It was just fulfilled. Um, and what does he talk about? He talks about <clears throat> the gospel preached to the poor, proclaim release of the, to the captives. Um, I wanted to encourage you. Joe wanted me to make sure and encourage everybody. Not this weekend coming up, but the following weekend is the Set the Captives Free campaign that I know many people have been working on and, and praying about and doing things for. And, I mean, this verse basically sets a proclaim release to the captives, you know. We were all once captive. We were all once in bondage to our sin. I know I was horribly in bondage to many vices, and I was, a, I was not a good person before I came to know the Lord. And not that I'm a great person now, but by God's grace, uh, you know, he's been doing a work in my heart and changing me. And he's been so merciful, so compassionate, so kind, so loving. Um, so... If you're not going to be able to make it, it's a three-day event, I guess, uh, the next Friday, Saturday, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. Um, you can pray. Pray for it if you can't make it. Me, I'm gonna be, I have to, to work that weekend. I'm off Sunday, but then the Sunday is the day where you know, we have church. And, um, but we can pray, you know. Said so those, like Joe was just teaching about mending the nets, John and James stayed and mended the nets when Andrew and, <clears throat> and Peter were out. So they were together, you know. It's like the, what, what they were doing was important too because if the nets aren't mended, then they're not going to be able to use them and go fishing. So everybody has a different calling, a different uh, gifting. Um, like I love what Joe always says, you know. Oh, well, I can't witness. I can't talk. And you can hand someone a track, you know. Unless you're armed, you don't have any arms. But, you know, you just hand somebody a track, say, here, you know. Um, so this campaign that's been, uh, is coming, when is it? So it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Is it the 19th, 20th, and 20th? What's the dates? 18, 19th, and 20th, yeah. So um, that's coming on. He wanted me to encourage everybody. Um, about that. So I want to go back and talk a little bit about about God's heart for orphans and widows. Um, you don't have to turn to these. I'll just read them off. Psalm 72, 12. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Psalm 103.13 and 14, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. <clears throat> For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we're but dust. Um, Psalm 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous, yes, our God is compassionate. 
Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. And that reminds me when Jesus stood over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who stones the prophets and kills those sent to them. How I've longed to gather you together as a mother hen does her chicks, but yet you were unwilling. And it's like that's, I, when I read that, I think of that in Isaiah, you know, God, God, that's God's heart. He's, he longs for us. He wants to show mercy to us. He wants to show compassion because he cares for us, you know, and he wants us to care for others. He wants us, that's why God does the work in us so that we can be a minister to others, you know. We all, like Joe has been, you know, going, working up to this. He says, we're all ministers, ministers of reconciliation, Second Corinthians, you know, every one of us. And you know, sometimes, especially in my job, I don't have the opportunity to share out openly with people, so I have to pick my spots and do it when I'm alone with somebody or in a break room or whatever. But I'm hoping that people see, see a different person, you know? Uh, like, this guy's different. He's not like the rest of the world. He's not like everybody else, you know? And, and how, how are we living? How are we acting? How are we we talking around our coworkers, around our neighbors, around other people. I mean, and we all fall short. Believe me, I fall miserably short at times. One of my struggles is driving on the freeway. I get impatient sometimes. Or, or someone cuts me off, I get anger. And it's like I need to, okay, Lord, help me be more like you. This is, I need, I need work. I need sanctification in that area. Everybody has their own struggles, you know. None of us are perfect, and we're all a, a work in progress, you know. And, but God wants us to, to, be, to be different. He calls us to, to come out from, he says, come out from among them, my people, you know, unless you partake of their plagues, you know, you read in, in Revelation. Um, it says we're living epistles written by God on our hearts, you know, and we're supposed to be different. And I know I'm nowhere near the same person I was, you know, before I came to the Lord. And like I said, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm definitely not where I was. So I'm, I'm striving to get to that spot, you know, that place where I need to be, you know. But I'm definitely a work in progress, which all of us are. And... I love the scripture. It says, you know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, you know. And God has been so good to, I know each and every, I know several people here. I've known a lot of you for, some of you for many years. And I know some of your past, some of the things you've been through, some of the things you've done. Um, and God's greater than all of that. He loves us, you know, and he wants to use us for his glory. And... It's just, that's been my heart's cry lately. It's like, Lord, change my heart. Make me, let my heart beat with your heart. Let me love what you love. Let me hate what you hate. And, and that's a struggle, you know. And it goes back to that in James, be, keeping oneself unstained by the world. You know, like I said, the world systems so wants to destroy our time. Like when football season comes, I love football. 
I know Travis loves football. Travis played football, you know? A lot of guys love football, and we look forward to football season. But is that our focus, you know? Do we spend Thursday night all night watching football? Do we spend Saturday watching college football? Do we spend Sunday watching pro football? Do we spend Monday night watching football, you know? I'm not saying it's bad to watch football, but is that, is that your, your idol? Is that something you're putting before the Lord? You know, an idol is anything that you put before the Lord. And the Lord has worked on my heart over the last several years and showing me things that are idols and having me start to cut them out. And some of them are kind of painful, like I didn't really want to give them up. Not that they were sin in and of themselves, but it was, I was putting them before God. Like I said, it's not a sin to sit down and watch a football game. There's no problem. But what, where, where's your heart at? Is that something that you're putting before God? And I know that the more you draw close to God, he'll show you the things that he wants to remove, you know? And sometimes we go kicking and screaming, and we don't want to give it up right away, you know? There's a few things in my life that took quite a while where he finally said, okay, you know what? I've been patient, but look, come on. Like, prod me a little. It's, it's time. You know, you got to make a decision. And because God, that's what he wants. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to make us useful for his kingdom. Um, so, anyway, I'll keep going here. That was Isaiah 38, 18, the last one I read. Now, Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Isaiah 55, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you once walked with the Lord and you had a great strong walk, and now maybe you've kind of drifted off or fallen away. You know, God, God wants you to return to him. It says, you know, that's his heart. He says, let the unrighteous man <clears throat> forsake his thoughts in his way and let him return to the Lord. You can't return to the Lord if you weren't with the Lord at one time. I know I backslid many years ago and went right back to the vomit, you know, like Peter says, as the proverb, a dog returns to his vomit. And I got knee deep in sin again. And it's like the Lord wanted me to come back, but I'm just so grateful I didn't die in that state, you know, if I, I would have, I'd be gone, and, but that's, God has so much compassion, and so if you're either watching by live stream, or you're um, here, and you've gotten away from the Lord, you know, he wants you to come back, he wants you to forsake your ways, he wants you to forsake that stuff, okay, and return to him, because it says he will have compassion on you, and he will abundantly pardon He'll pardon, he'll remove all your sin. He'll clean you up, you know? God is so good. He's so, so, so good to us. He's such a patient, merciful God. So unlike me, patience is one of my, not my virtues, I should say. It's something I've struggled with for years and years. I'm by nature an impatient person as a non-believer, and then as a believer, I'm learning to be patient and and I'm so unlike my wife. She's so patient and so kind. It's, it's like, how do you do that? You know, it's like it blows me away. <laughs> how can someone be so patient and so kind? You know, and I'm, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm learning, but God's, you know, he, 
he just shows us, hey, you know what? You need, I got to work on this in you. This is something that you need work on. And I know that's been one of my struggles, my patience, you know. But it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You know, those are the things that we're supposed to have. So if I'm impatient, that means I'm walking in the flesh. Because right before that in Galatians 5, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. If you walk in the flesh, sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But if you walk in the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life, you know. And it, and it's, it says they're obvious. The two, the two, if you look at the list, one's dissensions, factions, uh, anger, outbursts of anger, and all these, you know, all these bad things. And it says, so if you're feeding your flesh, you're walking in the flesh, this is the fruit. And then if you're walking in the spirit, the fruit is, like I said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. God is just, and it's not, it's not us. It's him. It's his spirits by us crying out to him saying, Lord, please, please help me. Help me with this. Help me with my struggles. Help me. You know, we have to humble ourselves and and realize we need help. We can't do it on our own. Jesus said, you know, in John 15, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You know, you can't do anything on our own. If I try and do something on my own, I fall flat on my face every time, on my own strength, my own power. It's like coming here today is like, I had no message prepared, nothing, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm making any sense or anything I'm saying. I just... I grabbed some old notes I had and just cried out, you know, Lord, please help me. I, I can't do this. I can't do it without him, you know, because it's, it's all for him. Everything that our whole lives should be for him. It says all that, all that you do should be done to the glory of God. Whether you eat, work, eat, whatever you do should be done to the glory of God. And nobody's perfect in that. I don't care who you are. But that should be our heart. That should be what we should strive for. Are we striving to be that way? Do we want to do what's right in God's eyes? Um, just about his compassion, I'll go some more. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's in Lamentations 3, and 23. And in Nehemiah 9, 31. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and compassionate God. And anybody knows about Nehemiah, it's the returning from the Babylonian captivity. And they could have been wiped out. And, but Nehemiah says, nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. You know, he always had his, his inheritance, his people. He had a remnant. And he brought them back, you know, to the, the Nehemiah's part of rebuilding the temple. He had a trow in one hand, a sword in the other, you know. <laughs> Israel has always been under attack, you know. 1948, they became a nation again. What happened? Boom. Everybody attacked. All the, all the nations around them attacked them. It's like instantly. They've always, Satan hates Israel because those are God's people, God's chosen. It's his inheritance. Um, in Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So just, I love to meditate on God's compassion, his kindness, his goodness. Um, it's just amazing. So I go back to the story about the widow. Um, 
it says that he felt compassion for her. He saw her plight. He saw what was going on. You know, God knows what we're going through. He knows, he knows everything about you. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows everything you're going through right now. Some of you might be going through a horrific trial, a horrible trial. You might be thinking, wow, God, where are you? Like, what's happened? But God knows. He has compassion. This woman probably thought her life was done. She's a widow. She has nothing. Now her son dies. Her only son dies. So not only just the grief of losing a child, but now her whole security, everything that she had in life to protect her, and said that Jesus saw her and had compassion and told her not to weep. You know? And like I said, how do you tell someone not to weep at their child's funeral? You know, that just, that blows my mind, you know? And then he says, rise. He just spoke to him, says, young man, I say to you, arise. And there wasn't a small, it says that there was a large crowd. It says, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And then before that, in verse 11, it says, his disciples were going along with them, accompanied by a large crowd. So can you just imagine these two large crowds convey at the city gate as they come out? They're bringing, it's a funeral procession with this huge crowd, and there's Jesus with a huge crowd, and they meet, and they stop, and he raises this, her son from the dead. So it wasn't this quiet little thing he did in a room, like Jairus' daughter, you know, it was done differently. This was a public display, and it says fear gripped them all, you know, and they said God has visited his people. So God has that, that authority, that power. He raised us, but I just love his compassion. He had just this incredible compassion for this woman, and he saw her plight. He, saw, he knew what she was going through, and could you just imagine? I mean, you're at a funeral. Someone sits up out of the casket and just starts talking. It's like, whoa. I mean, that would be uh, freaky, <laughs> you know? That would be like, wow. But so you could just imagine how amazed these people were. And I love that I say God visited his people. You got to understand, before Jesus, there was a 400-year silent period in Israel. The, there was no prophets for 400 years until John the Baptist came. He was the first prophet in 400. There was a silent period in Israel. And John the Baptist came, and they were like, wow, what's going on? Like God's speaking again. Like there was a 400 years of silence, you know? And to see, wow, God's visited his people. They hadn't, many, their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they, they didn't see any, prophetic word. They, didn't, they weren't visited. Now God has visited, visited them. So they, they must have just been blown away. You know, like, wow, God is here. And he's visited his people, you know. It says, a great prophet has risen among us. And, and Jesus was a prophet. He's God, but he's also a prophet. Um, remember, says that Moses, I will raise up a prophet like myself, and you will listen to him trying to remember where that exactly is. Um, So God, he wants to go back. I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. I apologize for that. But God, he wants to set the captives free. That's his heart. Um, Let's go to Revelation 1.
We were just there in 17, but let's go up to, to verse 5. Or we'll start at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So we've been released. We're not only forgiven our sins, but we're released from them. And that, to me, that's just like so awesome. You know, we're not in bondage to them. People in sin, we see, you see people in their addictions and the things that are in bondage. They're, they're enslaved to this sin. And, but he releases us by his blood. We've been released so not only are we forgiven, but we're released. We're no longer in bondage, you know, and we're walking in freedom now. We have freedom, you know, and, and to me, that's just like so amazing. And only God can do that. Only God can set us free, you know, from the things that, that hold us captive. Um, he's, like I said, he's been so good to us. He's been so incredibly merciful to me in my life. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys, you know, if you... If you Like I read before, it says in Psalm 103, he's mindful that we're but dust. So sometimes I would think, oh, I have to have this perfection. God knows I'm dust. He's mindful. He created me. We're made from the earth, from dust. You know, he knows, he knows my weaknesses. He knows everything about me. And so I, I can't, he, he understands. He understands my weaknesses, you know. He, he knows that. And he wants me to, to, to cry out to him, and he can, he can strengthen me. But like I said, it's him that strengthens, not us. We all have our weaknesses, everybody, you know. We're never going to be perfect in this body. But we can strive, okay, Lord, just do a work in me. Just be available. Ask the Lord to, to do a work in your heart, to change your heart. To, we all have areas we need work on. And I'll be the very first one to admit I got a lot of them. Um, but like I said, he, he's mindful of word but dust. A pastor friend of mine many, many years ago, he said something so funny. He said, yep, he goes, God's mindful of word but dust. He knows we're just a bunch of dirt clods, you know? That's what we are, you know? Water and dirt, dust makes dirt clods, you know? And he, he's mindful. He knows that. Like I said, he, he, he formed us in our mother's womb, so he knows, you know? He knows everything about us. And... Again, God's just been so good to, <clears throat> to me and myself in my life, and I notice so many people here. Um, like I said, I know many of you. Some of you I've known most your whole life, like Chris over there. known him since he was a little boy. And, uh, and to, see, to see the growth in people, Travis, to see what God's done in his heart and his life, uh, God is awesome, you know, he's so good, he's so, he, he takes, takes us, not only has mercy on us, but then he gives us grace, he cleans us up, forgives us, and now he says, okay, now I want to use you. Um, when I was back east, I met this pastor, and I went to his church, he had a small little church, like at a storefront, kind of reminded me when Blessed Hope was at the dance studio, I don't know if anybody any of you guys are from way back then, but used to be a little dance studio over on L.A. Avenue that 
uh, Blessed Hope rented and met there. And this was a little storefront. And uh, this was when I lived on the East Coast. And I went to this little church and got to talk to the pastor. And he said, hey, let's get together. So we went out and we're driving. Took me out for coffee or lunch. I forget. It was many years ago. And we're driving and sharing his testimony. with. He did 10 years in Sing Sing in prison in New York. And he was a hardened gang dude, drugs. I mean, he was, you know, he spent 10 years. He's a hard dude, you know. Uh, 10 years in the joint won't do that to anybody. And he tells me this story that he's driving along a road and he, he sees this table on the side of people's trash and it's kind of broken leg and it's just laying there by the trash. And he looks at it and he goes, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. I think maybe I could fix it. So he pulled over, picked up, threw it in his pickup took it home and refinished it, fixed the leg, and made it all nice, and it ended up being a beautiful table, and he put it in his living room, and he goes, that thing, that piece of junk became my centerpiece. People walked him, and they're wow, that's beautiful, and then, and he said, the Lord spoke to his heart. He said, well, that's what I did with you. You were junk. You were discarded. You were in prison. Nobody wanted you. You were broken. He goes, but I picked you up out of the trash, I, I fixed you, I healed you, and now you're my centerpiece. He goes, and now he's a pastor and sharing Lord. And I just thought that was so neat, just such a neat story that, that, he, that he shared. It's like how the Lord, and that's what the Lord does. He takes, takes us from nothing, from the ash heap, you know, and from the, from the mire, from the clay, from the dung pile, you know, and he cleans us up and he, and he uses us. And and that's what we want to do. We want to share that with other people. And this um, coming up campaign, Set the Captives Free, I pray if you can't make it, which I, I won't even be able to make it, but at least pray. So um, anyway, let's, let's pray. Father God, we just uh, come before you. We thank you 